Hi everyone, and welcome to Can You Hear Me, the show that focuses on real student experiences. I'm Evie, your host, and today I'm joined with Isabella. Hello! To discuss contamination OCD. Isabella found that moving away from home to London for uni actually allowed her OCD to run wild, for lack of a better term. So we're going to talk about how OCD can change over time according to life circumstances, as well as Isabella's experience with exposure therapy and medication as treatment. So welcome to the podcast, Isabella. Thank you. This is very cool. (laughs) It is very cool. You were saying when you came in, you felt like really professional with the headphones and stuff on. I do. I feel like I've just watched too many BBC podcasts. Yeah, this isn't a BBC podcast, but not as cool, but we're getting there. So before we start, as usual, um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself in any way that you want. um, And please tell us one positive and one negative thing that's happened to you recently. And I'll go after you. Hello, I'm Isabella. I am, like Evie, a third year English literature student. I am generally confused about my life, but I just had lunch, so I feel quite good at the moment. Great information, thank you. Yep, the listeners need to know. My positive thing is while walking over here, I called my father, and he said that my pet cat had just come in from the outdoors where it was very wet, and he'd used my father as a human towel, which I thought was great personally. My negative thing would be I went to Tesco's yesterday, and I wanted to buy a bell pepper because they're delicious and Tesco's didn't have any bell peppers. And that was just, it changed my life. You know, I would be really upset. Yeah. Especially when you only have like one supermarket near you. And then it's not like you can go to another one to find what you're looking for. I feel bad because that's just because you live far away. I have many supermarkets. Okay, that's true. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, anyway, mine... My positive thing was I got um, some poetry published this week woo-hoo. Um, woo-hoo, in a uh, magazine, uh, which was great. And the negative thing is that I am so cold. I hate winter so much. I hate layers. I hate coats. I hate jumpers. And the heating in my flat is not working particularly well. So in the mornings, I can't put on timer to turn on. So it takes me like an hour to get out of bed because I'm just I'm like freezing cold yeah it's not a good time (laughs) before we talk to Isabella about her experience I'm going to give an outline of OCD and contamination OCD in particular OCD is quite a complex disorder, so this section will be longer than in our previous episodes, and as usual, a reminder that I don't have any formal psychology training, and the information I'll be talking about is the result of research and personal experience, so please don't take it at complete face value. Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD for short, is a mental illness made up of two components, obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted thoughts that the sufferer is unable to get out of their mind. These thoughts are usually unpleasant and distressing, especially as they continue to persist, and if you spend time online you might have heard the phrase intrusive thoughts. This is actually an OCD term. Intrusive thoughts fall under this obsessions umbrella, as they are thoughts that the sufferer does not want to have but they are unable to get rid of. Intrusive thoughts are egodystonic, meaning that they are not in line with the sufferer's actual morals and values. As an example, someone with OCD might have an intrusive thought about 
throwing themselves in front of an oncoming train, or harming someone that they love. These are not things that they want to do, so they make the sufferer feel incredibly distressed, and this is where compulsions come in. Compulsions are repetitive actions or rituals that are performed in an attempt to relieve the anxiety or other negative feelings that arise from unwanted obsessive thoughts. In a lot of movies or other media, a common example of the obsession-compulsion relationship is someone having to turn a light switch off and on a certain number of times to stop their family from dying, for example. In this instance, the sufferer has had an unwanted, obsessive thought about their family dying, and they feel that if they don't flick the light switch, say, 10 times, then the obsessive thought will come true. The compulsion to flick the light switch is born out of the anxiety and distress that they feel from having the intrusive thought, and in this case, the compulsion relieves both the anxiety over having the thought and the anxiety that the thought might come true. But not all cases of OCD work the same way. As uncomfortable as it is to talk about, common obsessions and intrusive thoughts might revolve around sexual thoughts about family members, animals, or even children. These are not things that the OCD sufferer wants to think about. Again, OCD is ego-dystonic, meaning that obsessions are not in line with the sufferer's real morals and values. This is why compulsions follow as a way to relieve the guilt and distress born out of having such thoughts. Many people with OCD will fall into a trap of self-doubt, beginning to worry that they actually believe or like the contents of their obsessions. This is why OCD is believed to be one of the most distressing and disabling mental disorders, despite also being one of the most common. Contamination OCD is one of many subtypes of OCD and revolves around germs and cleanliness. When most people think of OCD, this is the type that comes to mind, and it is without a doubt one of the most common. Like any OCD subtype, contamination OCD disrupts the sufferer's life in unwanted ways. It's usually driven by an extreme fear of becoming contaminated by touching things that the sufferer feels to be unclean in any way. It is not the same as just being conscientious about cleanliness, because to someone with contamination OCD, everything is blown out of proportion. And Isabella will talk a bit about this later, but a common aspect of contamination OCD is dividing the world into clean and dirty. For example, the sufferer might split their home into zones, and only things that the sufferer feel are clean can be in the clean zone, and vice versa. If the sufferer thinks that they have been contaminated, which is often not based on anything other than a feeling of uncleanliness, they will perform their compulsions for relief. And often this is obsessive handwashing or showering, but it can also include cleaning and disinfecting entire spaces, avoiding going out in public entirely for fear of being contaminated further, or throwing away contaminated clothes because even after washing they will not feel clean. Like any subtype of OCD, the more someone engages in this obsession-compulsion cycle, the stronger the OCD can become, to the point where sufferers might become entirely isolated. Although it always feels like compulsions are the answer to obsessive thoughts, they only ever provide temporary relief, and the sufferer will start right back at the beginning of the cycle once their OCD is triggered by another obsessive thought. Again, Isabella will talk later about her experience with exposure therapy, a type of OCD treatment focused on exposing sufferers to something that will trigger their obsessive thoughts, but not allowing them to engage in their compulsions. This forces the sufferer to sit in discomfort without seeking relief, teaching them that compulsions are not necessary and the anxiety will pass on its own. 
Despite affecting up to 2.3% of the world population, OCD is severely misunderstood and is often dismissed as just being clean or tidy or wanting things done a certain way. This is perpetuated by the media, whose depictions of OCD are often surface level and do not accurately portray the intense distress caused by the condition. This is especially harmful for children and teenagers, who are less likely to understand the ego-dystonic nature of OCD obsessions, and therefore more likely to develop depression as a consequence of the debilitating experience of living with OCD. For this reason, using OCD as an adjective, as in, I love organising, I'm so OCD, is incredibly harmful as it further stigmatises an already misunderstood disorder and discourages people in need from getting a diagnosis. So I just talked about how varied OCD can be, and even within a particular subtype, how many different forms it can take. Isabella, can you please tell us what the focus of your own contamination OCD, kind of like what the main things are that trigger you and the compulsions that you usually do? Anything which I perceive to be dirty or to have germs on it will send my brain into a complete panic. So like, for example, if I'm out and about walking down the street, I put something in the bin, but the side of my hand catches the bin for a millisecond dirt, contamination, I must clean that bit of hand now. So I do the classic, I will wash my hands so many times until it feels clean. In my head, the dirt is confined to just the little bit of my hand that touched the bin, which doesn't make sense because the germs are not going to stay in their little boundaries. I also, when I'm at home, I have so many bottles of like that Dettol antibacterial spray which I will just start spraying things with. When I moved to university, my father as a present bought me like six bottles of that. He's so sweet. (laughs) So you said about um, feeling like the germs are like confined to like that one little area. When I was researching on contamination OCD, actually something that came up was the opposite. So I read that people will feel like something has been contaminated, but in their mind that will have spread to like an entire room or something. Is that not the case for you? Oh, for me, it depends. But my brain has created this whole over complex ecosystem of how contamination works. Okay. So say, for example, like my right index finger is contaminated. Then if that right index finger was, say, to touch my phone, the whole phone would be contaminated. And then that phone touches a table, whole table, done, gone. I guess that's why it makes sense for you to, like, I think we'll talk about this later, but you mentioned to me that you divide your home into zones, like clean and dirty, right? So that makes sense because then if you put something that has been contaminated in the clean zone, (laughs) bless you, you. (laughs) then obviously it's not going to be a clean zone anymore, but you want it to stay completely separate. So if we just start on the kind of like... OCD timeline. You told me that your OCD got worse once you moved to uni, pretty much because you felt like you were free to perform your compulsions, which you felt like you weren't when you were living at home. So can you tell us about how your OCD was when you lived at home before uni? I can't remember a time when it wasn't part of my life. Like, I can remember being six years old and coming home and because I touched an escalator, which... Oh, so many people touch that. So many germs. First thing I would do every time I came home is run to the sink and wash my hands. And my family were just sort of like, what are you doing? 
where have you been? What is so horrible that you've touched? I was like, an escalator. Dirty object. Disgusting. And they were like, is it? Is it really? Of all things, though, it I feel like that is. one makes yeah. more... Like, if you touch the escalators in London, they actually are disgusting. I will not touch those. Yeah. I will just fall down them and die. Sorry, TFL. <laughs> but yeah, it just became more and more exaggerated to the point where my family just sort of knew and understood that I could completely have a tiny little meltdown over touching the smallest thing. And so they just sort of, oh, that's Isabella. We'll leave her to it. But you didn't like label it as OCD, right? No, right. I thought that it's just, oh, I like being clean. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like being tidy. Oh, I like to sit in my room for two hours and worry about cleanliness. Uh, that's okay. normal. That's something people do. Did you feel like you had to suppress it at all? Yeah. And did. in a way, that was possibly a good thing. Not the suppression, but the fact that I knew I had my family to keep me in check because I couldn't just completely run wild and like get home from school, get out the wet wipes and clean everything because that would be too far. Yeah, because it's not your house, right? So it's kind of like there is a boundary still. Yeah. (laughs) You can't just go and clean the whole house. You told me about one story about when your shower broke at home, I think. You said you were 17 or something and then you were just like completely obsessing over not feeling clean to the point where you couldn't concentrate in school. Yeah, because much as the shower was broken, like there was still a bath. There was still a very useful way of me becoming clean. Mm. But every day I'd have a bath and I was still like, oh my God, I am just stewing in my own filth. I'm not clean at all. And so then after the bath, I'd try and just shower using like this little not very good shower head which we had anyway so I'd wash myself twice head to toe I still wouldn't feel clean because it wasn't my normal routine of get in the shower in the morning shower do your schoolwork. so then I'd be sitting there in a lesson trying to focus and all I could think about was oh you didn't clean yourself properly oh you're not clean oh my god your body is crawling with dirt I think that that says something about the routine part of OCD, yeah. right? Like it's not necessarily that you weren't clean. Yeah. It was just that your routine had been disrupted. So in your brain, yeah. it was like, okay, routine has been disrupted. That means I'm not clean because my routine equals clean. Yeah. So you were just sitting in class, just not able to concentrate yeah. at all. Because the only way to become clean was through my very specific clean routine. Yeah, I think you you start associating things really strongly with um, like whatever the obsession is. And I think you said to me before about your obsessions over being clean kind of just got bigger over time, but you didn't notice it. Things just built on top of each other to the point where like you had so many things that you deemed as like not clean or like so many things to do to make yourself feel clean that it was just like so constrictive. Yeah, because I'd hear something be described as not clean and whether or not it was true, half the time my brain would latch onto it. Like I remember someone telling me, oh, hand dryers are dirty. Yes. Because they blow the germs around. I That was something I think I saw on TikTok yeah. once. I mean, to me, like... I don't have contamination OCD, so that didn't bother me. But when you're someone who's always thinking about whether things are clean or not, if you see something like that, whether or not it's true, like I can imagine that it would just kind of 
send you into a bit of a spiral. Yeah, I didn't use hand dryers for months after that. Oh, and then God. I thought, oh, but if I wipe my hands on my clothes, my clothes have been outside. They're not clean either. Yeah. So what do I do? Can my hands just be wet? Because that is not practical. Yeah, so like such a like a divide into clean and dirty in yeah. like everything, every aspect of your life. Yeah, definitely. So when you moved to uni, did you notice an immediate change because you were now living in a place that was all your own? It just meant that I could finally run wild. Like the first thing I did when I moved into halls was I cleaned every single surface, even though it had been all clean before I moved in. But I needed to know that I'd clean it and feel... Right, the control aspect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like feel that I'd scrubbed the dirt off. And it was just things like... Things like taking your shoes off when you enter are quite normal. But I could completely enforce that as, oh my god, your shoes must come off. Or, okay, if I put my rucksack in this specific corner of my room, because it's been outside in London, which is dirty then the germs will stay in this specific corner of my room, which is fine as long as I don't touch it. And what shows just how illogical OCD is, is I was sharing a bathroom with eight other people. But that was kind of okay, because in my head I just told myself, like, no, this is where you go to become clean. This is a clean place. So if I just convinced myself strongly enough that it was a clean place... Oh yeah, I think you said to me something about you were wearing glasses and you used to have to take them off when you went to the bathroom because then you wouldn't see that it was dirty so that it wouldn't trigger you, right? Yeah. Yeah, we think of bathrooms as like clean places, but then if you're sharing it with (laughs) that many other people... I've seen many student halls bathrooms that were worse. Mine was not that bad. How many people did you share your bathroom with? Eight. Which... One bathroom between eight people, it was okay. It was just whenever I go in there with glasses, you'd see all of like the random hair and stuff and sort of, oh, this is, this is not pleasant. This got to being very silly, but the way my halls were structured is you could use the shared bathrooms on any floor. So I just convinced myself that the bathroom on my floor was the clean one and all of the other ones were the ones with the issues. Because if I was visiting a friend on like floor two or whatever, I'd just pop into the floor two bathroom mm. and then I'd see it and go, oh, this is bad, but mine, my floor five bathroom, that's fine. That is clean haven. Talking about the bathrooms, you have like a shower routine, yeah. which I think that showed really well the way that you divided things into clean and dirty. Yeah, because I would have the dirty set of things and the clean set of things because I'd have to walk from my room down a corridor to this shared bathroom. So I would take just like this basket of like shampoo and whatever. I would put on my dirty bathrobe, which was for when I just changed out of my outside clothes and my just changed out of my outside socks slippers. And then I would carry a clean bathrobe and a clean pair of slippers. But I have to hold them out in my arm because I couldn't have the clean items touch the items I decided were dirty. I'd hang them off pegs in the bathroom shower etc then I would immediately step into the clean slippers into the clean bathrobe then hold the dirty ones at arm's length walk back to my room put them in their designated spot and then wash my hands because my hands had held the so-called dirty bathrobe and dirty slippers which were obviously going to kill me so you did that every time you went to shower like every day yeah I saw no issues with this 
I was like, this is normal. Still, in first year, you thought that it was just, like, being clean? First year is when I realised perhaps maybe not. Okay. Like, after several months of this, I can't remember what prompted me to look up the OCD criteria, um, but I just opened the NHS website and I started reading it and I was like, wait! This clicks! <laughs> this makes a lot of sense! This is a... No, but no! This is a disorder? I thought this was just my life. You also said something about COVID and sanitising. Yeah. Right? Just because there was so much hand sanitizer everywhere during COVID, which obviously very good thing, but it normalised cleaning a lot. So it meant that before, I would have always just carried around a little bottle of sanitizer in my bag. But suddenly there was sanitizer everywhere. Everyone was just reaching over to the sanitizer. Oh, let me clean my hands. So I thought that it was completely fine and completely normal that I was doing the same thing and it was no longer a bit weird that I would constantly be sanitising my hands. It's kind of like it was enabling your obsessions and enabling your compulsions. And that's like one of the things that I've read you're not supposed to do. It makes sense if you have someone in your household to like keep everything clean and make sure that they're comfortable but actually in the long run it's a negative thing because you're enabling them to continue that obsession compulsion cycle whereas if you kind of just continue living your life and then they're exposed to it even though it might cause you know breakdowns or whatever in the long run it can help in breaking that cycle and stuff when you're in first year and you had the freedom to clean everything because it was your space you were kind of like completely enabling yourself because oh yeah because who was gonna stop me exactly and it was brilliant (laughs) yeah i guess like it would feel so comfortable right just because it's like entirely in your comfort zone it would feel so comfortable until someone else would walk into my room Mm. and like i could ask them to take off their shoes and everything that would be fine but then they'd say put their phone on my desk and suddenly oh all i could think about while they were trying to have a nice conversation with me would be, your phone has been outside, your phone is on my desk now, your outside phone is on my inside desk, this is not clean, this all has to be cleaned when you've gone. You don't know necessarily that their phone is dirty. It's like the potential that it could be dirty that overrides any kind of like, this could be clean, no, it's dirty, it's dirty. Because I'd have no evidence at all that the phone was dirty, other than, well, they must have carried it with them into the outside world. And that is not a clean place. And you also mentioned about your mum visited your pools yeah. and messed up your zones with her um, her shoes. She did, because I had a very clear, easy-to-understand shoe zone by the door. And because that's quite a normal thing anyway, if I just asked someone if they wouldn't mind taking their mm. shoes off, normally they were fine with it. But she wasn't. She walked right into, you know, right through my shoe zone. I was like, would you mind taking off your shoes, please? No shoes inside. And she was like, oh, but I won't be here long. You know, it's fine. It'll just be a few minutes. And I was just sitting there thinking, oh, God, no, 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 no. And then for the entire rest of the time she was there, I really wasn't listening to what she was saying. I was just watching her feet to see exactly where they went so I knew exactly where I had to clean. But then I realised I couldn't remember the exact positions of her foot, so I just tried to clean Clean the whole floor. Clean everything, yeah. Was your floor, like carpet yeah it was it was not good because i hoovered it but really this was a hall's hoover it was not doing a lot so then i tried to go over it with wet wipes to try and get down into the little (laughs) carpet fibers and that didn't really work 
So what did you do when you, like, as much as you cleaned, it didn't feel right to you? I went for my tried and tested favourite method, which I'm sure is very bad for the carpet, which is I unscrewed the top of the Dettol bottle and I just poured it all over. Did it ever get to a point where the compulsions never helped? And no, you just thankfully. To... After okay. the Dettol bottle, that was sorted in my right. head. So that's like also like a mental thing, right? Like it's not yeah. necessarily that like pouring the bottle makes it more clean. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you're pouring this bleach over, so that must mean it's clean. So it's just like about how you feel rather than what the actual result is. Yeah, because it looked no more or less clean. Yeah. And I suspect it was no more or less clean. I think that demonstrates really well like the mental side of OCD and how it's not really based on anything tangible. Like obviously it makes sense that like you want something to be clean and you don't want to be like contaminated with germs, but it's just the degree to what that is in comparison to like someone without OCD, for example. I think that leads us on to therapy and to your second year of uni, which you started going to therapy in your second year, right? I did. Shout out to my therapist who will never listen to this. You she can was send it great. To I've not emailed her in a year. That oh, might be okay. a bit. But yeah, therapy, wonderful, would recommend. Was it CBT that you it got? It was. Basically, it was just a nice way of working out what all of my obsessions and compulsions were and then trying to get me to break the cycle by doing like extreme opposites. So. I remember having to do some really disgusting things, like I had to lick the bottom of my shoe, which sounds bad because Mm. it was not pleasant, but the point was if I could like cope with doing really extreme things like that and realise that my life was fine and literally nothing bad was going to happen, then I could go about my day normally and like open a door in a public space because if I could lick the bottom of my shoe, I can open a door. So you walked to therapy, you licked the bottom of your shoe, and then you just sat there. For an hour. Not, like, not being allowed to do any compulsions. Yes. And, like, there was, as well, just to make it harder, there was a sink in the room with soap and water. (gasps) Oh, so it was, like, staring you in the face. But I knew if I washed my hands that I was just going to have to do this all over again, and I really didn't want to lick the bottom of my shoe all over again. That was definitely the worst one. The other one that sticks out to me is when my therapist had a bag of peanuts and she kindly sacrificed one of her peanuts for the sake of my therapy. And we put the peanut on this like grotty old windowsill. You could, because this was an old building as well, you could see the visible dirt. We rubbed the peanut in the dirt and I ate it. And I can confirm nothing bad happened to me at all after eating it, so... Yeah, that's interesting then, because it's not like it was actually harmful germs and you ingested it and you threw up. Yeah. So it just kind of proved to you that, like, yes, it might be a bit gross, but ultimately it's not life-threatening. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, something to be, like, really, really afraid of. Yeah. Nothing bad happened to me at all. So you went to therapy, you also, you went on antidepressants, right? For I OCD? I was already on antidepressants and okay. I have been since the start of uni, 
But then I switched to Prozac, which was meant to be better for OCD. You were you were on search online before, yeah. okay. Um, also, disclaimer, antidepressants are different for everyone. My experience is just what happened to me. It could work great for you. It could work awfully for you. For me, I found that Prozac was very, very, very bad because I went through the one-week adjustment period, which I'd expected, but it was across mid-semesters. And I could barely get out of bed, I could not eat foods, I could not really process that the world existed. And all I did was drag myself to my desk, write about Chaucer, have a shower, go back to bed. Because you had a mid-sem yeah. to write, right? Yeah. And about like Chaucer as well. Oh my no. god. <laughs> I could have got an extension, but I was like, well then it's just going to be a problem later, there's mm-hmm. no point. And I hated that I didn't really feel many emotions on Prozac or any at all so then I switched back to sertraline after a month but that was really just a month of my life gone for nothing at all so do you think that was because of the dosage or because of the actual medication itself? no it was the actual the medication. medication right because antidepressants from what I know at least it is just some work with your brain some don't you have no way of knowing until you try it And Prozac and my brain just did not get along very well. So which were the effects that you had on Prozac? I had no feelings, no, the sense of urgency was what was really obvious to me because I tend to leave for things a bit late, which is fine because then I walk really fast and I sprint and I get there on time. And I was walking down the street and I was 10 minutes late to my seminar already and I was just walking thinking, oh, it doesn't matter. Let me keep walking. I don't need to walk any faster. I was like, wait, Isabella, no. No, you shouldn't feel this apathetic about everything. That's really scary, actually, yeah. that it can change like just the way that your brain functions yeah. that much. I don't like it. I don't like sometimes that these drugs can have this effect. When I went back on sertraline, I tried playing around with the dose, which was okay. not very smart of me, admittedly. But I'm now on 100 milligrams. I've been on that for a while. It's good. But I tried going down to 50. And in some ways it was better because my brain was a lot sharper. But with that, my anxiety was a lot more intense. And I remember I sat and watched the washing machine for two <laughs> hours. I don't know just what I... Just nothing else was staring at yeah. the washing machine. Yeah. So do you think the Prozac helped your OCD in any way? Was it just affecting your no. like, general brain function? I think it just made my life worse. And sertraline, how is that for your OCD? It doesn't do a lot for my OCD, to be honest, but it doesn't make it worse. It doesn't make it better, but it doesn't make it worse. It makes my depression a lot better. It makes my anxiety a lot better. So I love it for that. That's good anyway, though, in terms of like looking at it through OCD. Yeah. Because OCD and anxiety are so correlated yeah. with one another. I mean, anxiety causes OCD and OCD causes yeah. anxiety. So if you can take something that makes your anxiety better, then surely that's also good for your OCD as yeah. well. Going back to therapy, were there things that you kind of did one day that you realised, oh my god, if I'd done this before I had gone to therapy, like, I I would have had a breakdown? Definitely. One day when I was at work, because I work in a bar, one day one of the chefs had just made too many chicken strips, and so he was handing them out to everyone, and rather than what I would have done before, which was go and wash my hands and then come back for the chicken strips... I just immediately looked and thought, oh, food, tasty, and I grabbed one and I ate it. 
And it was only after I finished eating that I was like, wait, I didn't wash my hands. And I was so proud of myself. And obviously I'm not saying just run around in the world not washing your hands before eating. But for me, that was a big step because I'd done something and the world hadn't ended. And I was able to just partake in that social experience of everyone eating the chicken strips. And I was very proud of myself. So that's like a, like a kind of rolling ball thing, right? So yeah. like once you do it once, you feel that sense of pride and you're like, oh, I did that yeah. and I didn't die. Yeah. And then so the next time it's easier and then the time after that it's easier. And then I think, I mean, that's why exposure therapy is supposed to work in the first yeah. place. Because like you said, if you do something really, really triggering your OCD, then things in the everyday that aren't obviously you're not going to lick your shoe like on the daily so stuff that's less intense will not be as scary because you've already conquered that really intense thing so if we just talk about uni life and social life in particular is there anything that you can think of where your OCD really had an effect yes I was determined to never let it stop me from like going out doing things but there were times where I would just make mistakes (laughs) so one thing which you absolutely cannot consume when you're on sertraline is grapefruit for some chemical reason that i don't understand it's so funny that i i know this because i remember when you told me that the other day i was like oh yeah i know that yeah i'm not an antidepressant but i feel like it's something that like i don't know i've heard on the internet so many times people just talking about like being on antidepressants and eating grapefruit and just giving their horror stories. That's because it's just such a random thing. I know, it's like, weird, what little grapefruit? Like, what the hell is in grapefruit yeah. for it to have that much effect? And so one day I was just out with my friends, life was good, and I ordered a mocktail. I forgot to read the ingredients list. It had grapefruit in. And I was there after a half an hour or an hour or so thinking, I feel very strange. It was like my head was this echoey room and there were voices oh. screaming at me. And I was like, I don't think this is meant to be going on. I don't think this is normal. And then I realised when I looked at the ingredients on the mocktail, I was like, oh, that was mostly grapefruit. So don't have grapefruit on sertraline. But just things like that where I am doing everything I can to try and just, you know, have fun. And then I would forget and that's really when OCD would influence my social life. Yeah, I think sometimes it can like pop up when you're not expecting it, right? I mean like like any mental illness really. Yeah. It's like you could be having a great day and then suddenly Yeah. Even if it's like you haven't been triggered by anything, it can just kind of suddenly appear. Yeah. Did that happen to you, like any times in particular? Oh, definitely. Just sometimes I'll be having a conversation with someone and then I just suddenly think about all of the germs. And it's like, that is very much an intrusive thought, I think. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh, the room around me. This isn't clean. This isn't clean. But oh, then God. I guess in that situation, like, if you're in a common room, for example, you can't just get out and clean. Yeah. So what do you what do? You do? do you just leave? It used to be more so when I was younger, but I would just sit there and then realise I wasn't listening to what my friend was saying at mm. all. I was just thinking about this the This completely state. takes over your brain. Yeah. I have got better at it now because of therapy. I just to try again. No brain. No, it's fine. It's normal. If humanity was killed off by general day-to-day germs, we would all be dead. With OCD, self-assurance is really hard. Like self- yeah. self-reassurance, I mean. I've heard a, a, something that a lot of people with OCD do is seek reassurance from other people. 
which then takes away the anxiety, like the reassurance in that sense is a compulsion because it takes away the anxiety caused by the intrusive thought or the obsession or whatever. But when it's yourself, it's so hard to convince yourself that something is true. Like it's easier to believe it when you're hearing it from someone else. Like if someone else is reasoning with you and saying, no, this is clean, this is fine. But it's hard to convince yourself of that when it's also your brain like battling with itself, right? Yeah, because I've got a lot better at now being able to do that. But I remember so many times when I was a teenager and if there was something else stressful going on, aka GCSEs, I would then get so panicked about like cleaning and cleanliness. And I remember there was this one time in year 11, I didn't sleep at all one night. And the next morning I was just sobbing and sobbing and I was asking my father, sort of like, am I a dreadful person? He was like, no, Isabella, it's fine. I was like, it's not fine, I'm awful. And that poor man was doing his very best to try and reassure me. And I just couldn't get any perspective on the situation. Yeah, that goes back to what me and Chloe were talking about last episode, about how mental illness can sometimes feel like like an old friend or like something yeah. comforting. The way that it comes out when you're stressed is kind of like you revert back to engaging in your like OCD mm. compulsions because that's the only thing that you know how to do. Yeah. Yeah, people talk about stress cleaning. I enjoy my own subgenre, which is stress <laughs> hoovering. Oh, yeah. Because you can just visibly see all of like the little dust particles and stuff. You're right, actually. Actually, one thing which did help a lot is my job in the bar. Okay, because you work at the National Theatre, right? Was that the bar or like an actual bar? No, that was, it was the National Theatre, but it was very much an actual bar. Okay, yeah. Like people have, alcohol leads to the production of lots of bodily fluids. Mm, (laughs) Lovely. Which I became much more exposed to than I thought I would in that job. Give us some examples. Oh, I'm going to expose them on air. Go oh, ahead. Wow. They're not going to listen to this. That's so time. true. The one much I will always remember was a Sunday morning at like midday. There was this guy who I think he was really high or something, who just in the middle of the bar pulled down his trousers and did a very large shit. Lovely. Just in the middle of the bar. Yeah, I thought that it might be a bit more like people wouldn't just produce bodily fluids. One of the parts of the job was collecting in food trays when people finished eating and someone had thrown up in this food tray and they waited for my friend to like pick it up and like her hand touched it and stuff and then they started laughing at her like eh, that's vomit oh i think there need to be more social norms around where it is acceptable to vomit yeah i mean i feel like there are social norms but they should be better ignoring them yeah I've never had to clean up someone's vomit myself. I've had to do other very unpleasant tasks. Nothing ever that bad. Anything that triggered your OCD in particular? Honestly, it was very good for my OCD because Mm. I just had to learn to live with it. Yeah, because I guess when you're at a job, this is also similar to what me and Chloe were talking about last episode. You don't have the freedom to engage in like behaviors to do with like mental illnesses like chloe said it forced her to socialize even though her social anxiety was like screaming Mm. at her basically so i guess it would be the same for you yeah because everything i'm doing there all the time are things that would have horrified me before like giving people the menus and my head dirty unclean giving people buzzers so they can collect their food again that's being passed around everyone dirty half my job was like cleaning tables which 
obviously dirty, but it's not like I could just turn around and say, oh, I can't do that. Or when, like, one of the sinks had flooded and it was just full of this, like, brown liquid and I was sent to go and clean it, I couldn't just turn around and go, oh, I don't want to do that because nobody wanted to do that. So you got, like, free exposure therapy. I did get free exposure therapy. No, you got paid for getting exposure therapy, basically. I guess also the space that you're working Mm. in. For example, if you'd had, like, a couple days off and you come back, you don't know who's cleaned it or whether they've cleaned it well enough, like, the the surface of the bar as well, right? Did you ever come into work and just, like, do a little bit of a clean to make yourself feel better? Oh, we, at the start of every, like, shift... If it was the first shift of the day, everyone had to clean everything okay, anyway. Okay. Because it would all get clean the night before, and then you do a bit of a clean in the morning. Okay. So well, the hygiene standards were good, <laughs> but if I come in like mid-afternoon, the bar had been open for a couple of hours, half the time I'd walk in and just sort of go, oh lord. And we were meant to keep it clean throughout the day anyway, but sometimes when it got really busy, there was just not the manpower to be able to serve all the customers and keep the space spotless, and that would really bother me. But I learned to live with it. So what all of this exposure therapy just through living life has shown me is that actually OCD is manageable and it's still very much in my brain all the time. But whereas before it felt all-consuming and it felt very real as well, I can now at least rationalise it and I find that that makes it a lot easier to live with. So it's still there, but I think it's very manageable now. That's the end of another episode. Thankfully, there are lots of resources for anyone struggling with any subtype of OCD, such as OCD UK, which is ocduk.org, International OCD Foundation, which is iocdf.org, NoCD, which is treatmyocd.com, and OCD Action, which is ocdaction.org.uk. Particularly if you're dealing with a more stigmatised type of OCD, such as intrusive thoughts that concern harming others, there is an Instagram creator called Allegra Castens, that's A-L-E-G-R-A-K-A-S-T-E-N-S, I think that's her whole username. She's an OCD therapist, and she posts really good informative content that could help if you're unable to go to therapy right now, or if you just want to find out more about how OCD works and how you can gain some control over it. If you're struggling with your mental health in general, charities Mind, Samaritans and Young Minds freely offer help and resources to help you deal with whatever it is that might be affecting your life. And thank you, Isabella, for joining me today. Thank you, Evie. It was fun. Any parting words? I want to say something really wise now. Um, I can't. If you see a cat on the street, stroke the cat. Be nice to cats. That's so true. Yeah. I will take your advice. Thank you. Um, And thank you also to everyone listening. Please do follow us at ThinkMental on Instagram to keep track of when new episodes of this podcast will be released. I'm aiming to get another episode out before Christmas, but in case that does not happen, I hope you all have a great Christmas and some very well-deserved restful time away from uni. And Isabella, that also includes you. Thank you again for listening and I will see you next time.